0: Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Divine Ditches by Pastor Sean Wood. This morning, if you have your. Kings chapter 3. This morning, I believe I have a word for this church, but I know I have a word for individuals here this morning. There are people sitting in this room this morning that need to hear what God's got to say this morning. Just forget about me. I'm just a mouthpiece. If God can speak through a donkey, then I take encouragement this morning. But I know God has a word for people sitting here this morning because God, for want of a better term, you could say birthed this inside of me some weeks ago and it's been stewing and pickling many will know that recently I became a grandfather. Thank you to everybody who said, everybody just said, you know, you're way too young to be a grandfather, so God bless you everybody that just said that. <laughs> but you know, it's interesting the process. We've had uh, four kids of our own and we're looking to give a few away if anybody's, uh, if anybody's interested. But uh, interesting process, you kind of I remember when our daughter told us that she was pregnant. Wonderful news! We love that kind of news. That's always good news. Uh, and can I just digress for a moment? the uh, The Supreme Court of the United States ought to be applauded yes. Yes. Amen. Yes. because that's a huge shift in the spiritual paradigm may not be a huge one in the physical yet, but it is a huge shift in the spiritual paradigm. But I love good news. I, I remember when I worked at the hospital, um, I, they wouldn't let men work on the maternity wards for obvious reasons. But if there was one place I wanted to work, I wanted to work on the maternity ward. I just love kids. I think, I think a miracle happens every day right under our noses and we're just uh, oblivious to it sometimes. But it's interesting the process, isn't it? You receive the news that they're pregnant and it kind of begins a process but I can remember uh, for uh, my daughter, uh, once the ultrasound comes, you know when you look at those ultrasound photos and you're not sure whether you're watching a movie from Alien with Sigourney Weaver <laughs> or, 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 whether, or whether this is actually, what is this? I can't see uh, anything but uh, it's interesting how for a moment we received the photos, I remember Sophie gave us the photos uh, of little George uh, through the ultrasound and I'm thinking wow, it began to become a reality. And furiously in our own lives, as well as in Sophie's life, uh, all of a sudden we realise that this little fellow is coming hurtling towards us in a matter of only weeks. And so upon knowing that reality, we did something that every parent has done. You begin to make enormous preparations. Amen. Rooms begin to be cleared out. You begin to prepare rooms, but there's, there's huge life shifts that begin to happen. We're we're talking shifts in work. We're talking shifts in finances. Your pantry's never never full again. It wasn't before, no. And this morning, I am convinced that God has much in store for this church and for individuals in this church, but we need to get ready. You know when the pastor announces that he's coming over to your house and you furiously clean and and get everything ready? (laughs) The word from God to people in this place today is you need to get your house ready. Uh, I'm going to be honest this morning, uh, uh, I am not a huge fan of the term revival. I'll tell you why. Revival basically means, Lord, revive us back to where we were, and, and you know what, if God's going to take us back to where we were, I'm not sure that's on my prayer list anymore. So God, take us to a new place, take us into a new land, and that looks a little bit like reform. We're going to, we're going to touch on a guy today that brought enormous reforms to the people of Israel, and he should be heralded for it, but we're going to touch on an incident that happened where people made preparations. But before we get there, what I am a fan of and what I have increasingly become appreciative of is how often scripture uses the term God visited. It's all through the scriptures. I'm going to give you a few. If you're sitting there this morning, you should be saying, well, if it's all through the Bible, give us a few, Pastor, and I'm going to. There are seasons in scripture where God visited his people. Bad news first, let's get that out of the way. Often God's visitation was attached to judgment. Uh, Throughout the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah announced in Jeremiah 6, verse 6, he says that God is coming to visit, but it wasn't a pleasant experience for those in Jerusalem at that time, if you want to read the rest of Jeremiah. There are seasons where God comes in judgment, but the good news for the house of God is he comes for blessing. And I have a word today that God is about to pour out blessing. Are you ready for it? You see, uh, Genesis 21, in the very first verses, we read that God visited Sarah. He came to do as he had promised in the manner that he had promised. And what was that? When God had visited Sarah, she conceived Isaac. We read in Exodus chapter 4 that God visited his people and they worshipped. They recognised that Moses was a visitation of God for his people at that time. We read the term in 1 Samuel where God visited Hannah. She had been seeking God and pouring out her heart for many, many months. God visited her and she conceived Samuel. Interesting how uh, that wasn't the only child for Hannah. That was just the beginning. Luke chapter 7, verse 16, after Jesus has just raised a man from the dead, everybody that was there, the whole crowd said, God has surely visited us. As we prepare to move into our Exodus series coming up in August, I'm reminded of some profound verses in Genesis chapter 50 where the word visit is used. Let me read them for you. I was going to read them out, but I'll read them out this morning. For those who know the story of Joseph, uh, Joseph is a little guy that should have kept his dreams to himself and probably not wore his coat in front of his brothers. But apart from that, he gets thrown into a pit. He gets sold into slavery in Egypt. He gets thrown into a jail for something he doesn't do. But God had a plan. You know, when he was in jail, it probably didn't look like it. When he was in the bottom of the pit in a place called Dothan, interesting place, in a place called Dothan, crying out to God. It didn't look like God had a plan, but God was bringing him to be the prime minister of Egypt. And just before he passes away, what brings us to these verses is God makes him the prime minister of Egypt so that he can store up food. To save Israel, who would have died. Israel, all of his family, the whole nation of Israel at that time, which was Jacob and his children, would have died of hunger had God not made provision through Joseph in Egypt. And then the people of God come to Egypt, they settle, they become comfortable. But Joseph has a word for them. And there are people in this room that need to hear this this morning. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die. Comforting words. But God will visit you, not he might do, not he, not he might if you do this, this, this and this, God's going to visit no matter what, you need to hear that this morning. Joseph didn't say, you know what, if you guys do this, 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 this and this, then God will visit, no, no, no. God's going to visit, you just might miss out. A little bit more about that in a moment, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. When we get to the book of Exodus, you will see that Moses intentionally, as they're running out of Egypt, he stops, goes back and gets the bones of Joseph. What's Joseph saying to the people of Israel? Don't get comfortable. This isn't what God's got for you. Yeah, okay, it might seem like things are okay at the moment, but this isn't all God has for you. God is bringing you to the place that he'd always promised. And there are people in this room today that need to hear that. Where you are right now is not where God's got you. God's taking you to the place that he'd always prepared. And there are people in this room that need to hear that this morning because maybe your life right now looks like, God, what on earth are you doing? But we can miss it. You know, in Genesis 28, where Jacob's laying down, he puts his head on a rock and he dreams about a ladder. We had a man on a ladder this morning, but he wasn't an angel, Paul. (laughs) sorry sorry for waking you up brother <laughs> but when Joseph woke up he said something, uh, Jacob sorry when he woke up he said something enormously profound he said God was in this place and I didn't even know it mm. how many times does scripture record Jesus weeping many people answer that once at the tomb but he wept more than once I want to read to you a passage from the Gospel of Luke, speaking about visitation. This this scares me, this does. Luke chapter 19, verse 41. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. He's about to enter into his Passion Week, although his whole life was his Passion Life, really. Verse 41, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. So as he's approaching Jerusalem, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. Why? Why? Verse 42 saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. You had an opportunity. That's what Jesus is saying right there. To every Pharisee, to every religious zealot, to every man, woman and child in the city of Jerusalem, you had an opportunity. For three years, you passed me in the street. For three years, you listened to my teachings. For three years, you passed me in the temple. You watch my miracles. Verse 43. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you. That has happened in 70 AD. When the Romans besieged the city of Jerusalem, that has already happened. But listen to this last part. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. What's Jesus saying? You guys missed it. I've been here for three and a half years and you guys missed it. And today, I don't want this church to miss out. God is going to move in power. I believe that. If we have a look at the spiritual climate, even in Australia, this isn't dependent on any one church, not one denomination. It's, it won't be any one person. We're going to get to this in a moment. You, you won't turn around and go, uh, you won't give any praise to any man for this. But I guarantee you, God is going to visit his people here in Australia. You wait and see what he does. Second Kings chapter 3, if you've already met me there. As we work our way through this passage, we need to ask a few questions that set the scene for what's about to happen. Uh, Question number one, who are we going to be introduced to? Uh, We're going to meet four people today. Uh, One of them we don't really even know existed because we are told that three kings, that is one of them the king of Edom, uh, goes with Jehoshaphat, uh, jumping Jehoshaphat, and Jehoram. Now, uh, a little bit about those two guys in a moment, but what we do know from 1 Kings chapter 22, at this time, there was no king in Edom. So who they took with them, we're not 100% sure, but we do know this. Jehoram, who is the then king of Israel... Uh, Jehoram is the son of Ahab So for those who know the history of the kings of of Israel There's some lessons that we draw today Uh, What are those lessons? Here's some of the lessons you can draw Uh, What we find throughout the the history of Israel is They mostly had bad kings They had a couple of good ones But what we do learn is this Uh, This is a message to every person in leadership Across the household of God Everywhere that might hear this today If, If you are listening to leadership You've got to grab this When they had evil leadership, you had evil people. When you had godly leadership, you had a righteous, God-fearing nation. It's not a coincidence. What you do see is that some of these kings, although they're enormously evil like Ahab, they reigned for a long time. There is a time when God will be gracious but let me, let me sound a trumpet warning to everyone that's in a leadership position that might hear me today. There will come a time where he'll draw a line in the sand and push you aside unless you get your heart right before God. That's a great challenge to every one of us. And one of these evil kings we are introduced to today is Jehoram, son of Ahab, says that he wasn't, let's read what it says about him in the first few verses. Uh, Jehoram, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, though not like his father, who was Ahab, and his mother. For he put away the pillar of Baal that his father had made. Doesn't mean he was any better than his dad. He was just evil in a different way. and he led the people away to sin. You will read, if you read 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, you will read this phrase over and over again, and led the people into sin, and led the people into sin, and led the people into sin. But then we have a contrast. We have another guy called Jehoshaphat. Now, Jehoshaphat uh, basically begins to rebuild and finds the Bible. And he brings in sweeping reforms in Judah. He's the king of Judah. So Israel, top 10 tribes, Judah, bottom two tribes, and he's the king of Judah at this time. And Jehoshaphat, uh, amazingly God-fearing man, but he's only really heralded for making a few mistakes, and that is that he jumps in with guys like Jehoram, because Jehoram's got a problem. You see, Jehoram's just taken over as king from his dad, Ahab, and there there was a bit of a deal going with Moab. And that was, you guys have to kick over some sheep and cattle and goats, and you have to pay some tribute. But the minute Ahab dies, Moab goes, well, we're not going to pay these guys. Jehoram goes, bringing it into the 21st century, these guys need to respect my authority. So he musters all of Israel. He grabs Jehoram and says, we need to go to Moab. And let's pick it up. And understand a bit more about what happens in verse 9. Verse 9, so the king of Israel went with the king of Judah, that is Jehoshaphat, and the king of Edom. And when they had made a circuitous march for seven days, and that's a, that's a really profound word. Why have they gone the circuitous way? It means they haven't gone the most direct route. What they've decided to do, instead of taking the direct route to Moab, is we're going to go down through Edom. It's a fairly long way round, And we're going to come up through the south of Moab. The problem is, this is what happens when man gets ideas in their mind. The problem is they're going through the harshest climate. They're going through the worst deserts in the Middle East to get their way to Moab. Notice that both of them have actually made a mistake here. Nobody says, let's inquire of the Lord. (coughs) we're going to go and get Moab but Jehoshaphat goes yeah that sounds like a good idea let's go along nobody stops long enough to say God what is your will and your plan in this situation how many people feel like they're going through the wilderness of Edom right now does anybody don't have to put your hand up maybe just ask yourself those questions Maybe, maybe you feel like God's taking you the long way around there was no water for the army uh oh There was no water for the army or for the animals that followed them. Then the king of Israel, Jehoram, says, Alas, the Lord has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. So, Captain Positivity right now. (laughs) How many of us may even feel a little bit like these guys right now, though? How many of us, you see... Jehoram's confused and then he panics. He's confused. Hang on a second. I thought we were doing the right thing. I've got Jehoshaphat. He's a good guy. We're going to find that out in a moment. But I've got Jehoshaphat. We've we've made this agreement. We're going to go to Moab. This is the right thing to do. And then we come all this way thinking we're doing the right thing. And now it looks like God's only brought us out here so that we can fail. Moab is not even going to have to bring out their weapons to overtake us and overthrow us. God's brought us out here to fail. How many people? Don't raise your hands this morning. I think I could place a safe bet and say that most of us in this room have probably felt like that more than once. God, what on earth are you doing? Here's what not to do. Number one is panic. Because that's what Jehoram's doing right now. He's panicking. I love the words of uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was... Uh, a a wonderful preacher from the early 1900s, actually a butler to the royal family, and just brought a beautiful, profound sense of excellence to preaching that I really, really appreciate listening to. Uh, But he would say, and I think this is an enormously profound statement, maybe against the backdrop of COVID, maybe against even many backdrops in our own lives, maybe this applies. uh, Faith is the refusal to panic. faith is how many times when you want to start pressing into the things of god does the next thing that happens is the phone rings the dog's lost the cats run away forget the cat chase the dog right faith says god's got everything in charge I love Jehoshaphat's response. Jehoshaphat said, is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? What's Jehoshaphat saying? Uh, you know what? You're panicking. Uh, you're all confused. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to ask God what's going on. I'm going to go to God's word. Oh, uh, where are the prophets today, People? Where are the prophets? I love the words of A. W. Tozer. He says our, our pulpits need to be filled with prophets and not scribes. Scribes will tell you of what they have learnt, but a prophet will tell you of what they have seen. We need men and women of God that go into the throne room and bring the message back. We, what did what, what did God ask Jeremiah? What do you see, Jeremiah? Is there not a prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? (laughs) We're going to learn. Jehoram's like, I hope we don't have to meet this guy. Uh, Of all the prophets of the Old Testament, I really like Elisha. Then one of the king of Israel's servants answered, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. Many of us want to be Elisha, but I want to ask you, are you ready to pour the hands, pour water on the hands? You see, what we don't know about Elisha, everybody knows that Elisha got the double portion. What you don't know is that he poured water on the hands of Elijah, carried his oil flask for over 10 years. Are you ready to carry the oil flask? Are you ready to pour water? Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to see Elisha. Oh, how we need Elishas today. We need men and women of God who, when everybody else is confused, when everybody else is not sure which way God is going, that we can go and ask the Elishas. Lord, we should be praying for Elishas. God, raise up more Elishas. If you read Elisha, he never panics. 2 Kings chapter 6, I love Elisha. His little servant walks out and he sees an entire Syrian army across the hills. You read it for yourself. He runs into Elisha panicking, what on earth are we going to do? Elisha's like, Lord, open his eyes. And then he sees another army. The Lord's army. Verse 13. Elisha says to the king of Israel, this is Jehoram now. Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? In other words, what are you doing here? Go to the prophets of your father and go to the prophets of your mother. And that's not that's sort a of pretty scene. But the king of Israel said to him, No, it is the Lord who has called these three kings to give them in the hand of Moab. What's he saying? The Lord's done this. We're here because your God's done this. What is Elisha saying to Jehoram? What? Is God some kind of butler? What, you ring a bell when everything goes pear-shaped in your life? Is that you this morning? Is God your butler? Have you got it? it? You're going along all right. Life's all right. But when the crap hits the fan, you're going to ring the bell? Hey, God, I need you to help me now. God, I need you to help me now. I'll make you this guarantee. God is not your spare tire. He's not even your steering wheel. God doesn't even ride in the passenger seat. If you don't get out and put him in the driver's seat, he's not even in the car. The difference between Jehoram and Jehoshaphat we're going to see is one man lived for God and the other one just rang the bell when he felt like it. But there are Jehorams today. Throughout my Christian experience, many times I've I've encountered people that, oh Lord, we make bargains with God, you know, we make contracts with God, don't we? God, if you just get me out of this, then I'll, I'll be on fire for you and I'll serve you. And as soon as God does what they asked, they drift away. But then when the crap hits the fan, they ring the bell. I make you this guarantee today, friends, God is nobody's butler. But if you will let him drive the car with today's fuel prices... Elisha said to the king of Israel, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. Go; They're the ones you worship. They're the ones you follow. Don't ring my bell. What might that sound like today? Well, you've got it all together, haven't you? Go and see the bank with all your financial problems. Go and see the doctor with all your health problems. Oh, you get yourself in trouble there, pastor. king of Israel said, no, it is the Lord who has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. Verse 14, and Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts live, which is the God of armies, as the Lord of hosts live. That's a a statement right there. Before whom I stand, that's another statement. You see what Elisha is saying? I don't come and go, I stand before God. Were it not that I have regard for Jehoshaphat, The king of Judah, I would neither look at you nor see you. What's Elisha saying? If you'd have come on your own, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. I love this next verse, verse 15. It's a really confusing verse, but I think it's enormously profound. Elisha says, But now bring me a musician. Not a drummer, a musician. <laughs> oh, we're fetching to get into trouble this morning. <laughs> Verse 15, but now bring me a musician. Why? Because he was so twist. Jehoram has twisted him so much inside. What's the musician about? It's all about atmosphere. Have a look what happens when Elisha changes the atmosphere. Can I tell you that you can change your atmosphere right now? You can leave here today and you can live your life under a completely different atmosphere. You can start your day with a different atmosphere. You can start your day with God's word and prayer. It sounds very simple, but it's enormously profound. It changes the atmosphere But now bring me a musician. And when the musician played, because there was no drummer, the hand of the Lord came upon him. Wow. You know, I pray that. I need God's hand on me. It's uncomfortable sometimes. I remember remember one of my sons in church, because everybody's kids are really well behaved, right? And this son will know who it was. One of my sons in church was playing up one morning and it had to be dealt with. Problem was, my wife chose to deal with it halfway through communion. (laughs) My son needed to be quickly escorted out of the church. My wife placed her hand on my son. It was uncomfortable for him, we laughed, didn't we? Yes, but for him, it was uncomfortable. God's hand is sometimes uncomfortable when he's got to take you to where you've got to go. And no, we didn't used to have four sons. He's still alive. <laughs> verse, verse 15, then we're coming to the point this morning. Verse 15 says, but now bring me a musician, he says, and the musician played and the hand of the Lord came upon him. Now, Elisha has a word in season for these guys and I believe there's a word in season here. I'm going to read it in the ESV and then I'm going to tell you how it plays out in the Hebrew. Verse 16, it says, and he said, thus says the Lord, I will make this dry stream bed full of pools. What it actually says is make this valley full of trenches. Here's the word of the Lord. To the people of Israel, to the people of Judah, and to the people of Edom. Here's the word of the Lord. In all of your calamity, in all of these circumstances, the word is, dig your ditches. What God is saying to them, I am about to pour something out. I am about to move. I am about to visit you in power. Get yourself ready. And it sounds bizarre. We have men that are on the brink of dehydration. The animals, cats that have been left behind. But the animals are at the point of dehydration. (laughs) (laughs) And God says, dig ditches. Can I tell you that preparation will be radical? Do you know it's time for us as the people of God to actually get radical? Cause it's getting pretty radical out there, if you hadn't noticed. Yeah. Yep. The word of the Lord to the Rock Christian Church this morning is, dig your ditches. The word to every individual in this room this morning is, dig your ditches. Why? Because God's about to do something. And just like when I received that ultrasound photo, the moment God speaks this word to these guys, their reality changes. You see, digging the ditches, God didn't need them to dig ditches. God needed them to dig ditches. It got their eyes off everything else that was going on and it shifted their reality to God's going to do something. We're not worrying about... Moab now, we're not focused on any of that. We're focused on God's going to do something and we're making ourselves ready for what God's going to do. What does digging ditches look like in your life? You know, it's enormously individual and it's enormously subjective perhaps, but uh, it looks like, first and foremost, it looks like making room for God. Here at the rock, Right now, I can tell you that your elders, the conversation at our elders' elders meetings is, what do we have to take out of the meetings? What do we have to take out of the church? What do we have to change? What do we have to do to make more space? Why? Because God's about to do something. It's got nothing to do with us. God will do it whether we're here or not. But we need to make room for God. What... What do you have to do today to make more space for God in your life? Yes. <coughs> I always ask these two questions. But often making space for God looks like what is it I need to put down? What is it that I I don't need to take anymore? You know, if you've won the lottery and you're able to buy an airplane ticket at the moment, when you go to get on the plane, there is a baggage limit. God has a baggage limit. God says, I want to take you from here to here, but before you get on the plane, you're going to have to leave some stuff behind. But I do appreciate the words of Keith Green. As an introduction to the song, Oh Lord, You're Beautiful, Great Song, by the way. Keith Green, man, I wish he was alive today. Uh, Heaven's gain our loss, friends. But Keith Green says in the introduction, he says, I I realised that my heart had grown callous. He says, I realised that uh, I had grown dry and thirsty. Is that you this morning? He said, I realized that I'd become hard and callous to the things of God. I realized that I was spiritually dry. And He said, it wasn't because of anything that I was doing wrong. He said, I began to realize it was about all the things that I should have been doing that I wasn't. And so there's things we have to put down in our lives, but maybe there's some stuff you could pick up today. We're going to bring this to a close. We're going to ask... Karen this morning, if she can come and play very gently, but I want to finish off the next verses because they're enormously important this morning. Verse 16, it says, and he said, thus says the Lord, I will make this dry stream bed full of pools and and right in the valley. These guys are in a valley right now. You might feel like you're in a valley right now. And God's word to you is start digging ditches because I'm going to do something. There's something about digging ditches and getting ready for God. There's something about that. I I love this kind of reckoning. You know, Hebrews 11 tells us that when Abraham took Isaac up that mountain, and I can't imagine what was going through Abraham's mind. We're not told uh, his internal struggles and wrestles. We're not told any of that. But what we are told is that in Hebrews 11, it says that Abraham considered or he reckoned That God was able, if needed, to raise Isaac from the dead. What's what was that? Abraham says, "You know what? I don't fully understand what God's doing right now. This doesn't make sense. He gives me the blessing, now he's going to take it away. He's asked me to take my son, my only son. And you know what? God didn't want Isaac. God wanted Abraham's heart. God wants your heart." Sometimes we fill it with Isaacs. Thus says the Lord, I will make this dry stream bed full of pools. Verse 17, for thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind or rain. (laughs) But that stream bed shall be filled with water so that you shall drink you, your livestock and your animals. What's God saying? It's not going to come how you expect. Don't turn on the news and look at the weather report. You're not going to see any clouds, you're not going to see any wind, and it's not going to rain, but I'm going to fill this valley. And if you don't dig ditches, it's going to go straight past and you're going to die first. And friends, I believe God would tell us it's not going to come the way you think it's going to come. Everybody's got an idea of how God's going to move. Have you ever noticed that? Let me tell you what God's going to do next. As your pastor and everything, I'm going to tell you exactly what God's going to do next. Whatever he done well pleases. Yes, yeah. question is, are we ready? You know, when I was in the forestry... Uh, every year they would hand out a plantation or we were the good guys, we planted trees so we didn't have any unwashed masses camping at the gates Uh, that was for the guys that were cutting down trees but what uh, what they would do is they would hand out a plan and they would say on this perimeter we're going to make a plantation and once it was approved the first thing that they would do is they would send in the bulldozers and the bulldozers would come in and they would clear that perimeter. They would take all the, they took all the good trees out first. But all of the rubbish the bulldozers would pull, push into these enormous heaps that would, that would span the length of the coops. Sometimes we're talking 300 hectares. One coop we planted was 2,000 hectares. Some of these rows went for 10 kilometres one way, 10 kilometres back and all the rubbish would get pushed into these rows. And then in between those rows, a big bulldozer would come in and cut the ground ready for us to plant trees in that ground. But there was one thing they did before we went in to plant trees was they would take a match and they would light every one of those windrows and burn up all the rubbish. And I firmly believe that Over a period of years here, some years ago, God sent the bulldozers in. And over a period of time, God's been preparing the ground. He's been cutting up the ground. He's been preparing the soil. He's pushed all the rubbish in our lives into a heap. And God's ready to drop the match. God's ready to drop the match and set us on fire. How many people know it's tough when the bulldozers come in? But how many people know that if God doesn't send the bulldozers in, those old stumps and all that rubbish that's lying around, it's just going to get worse. I've got some good news for you today, friends. God's coming to visit you and it's not for judgment. loves us. He loves you. This morning, I wonder if we can just sit in our seats for a moment. And I want to give you the opportunity this morning to... You might want prayer this morning. We're here to pray with you if you'd like prayer. But I want to give you the opportunity. If this morning I ask you the question is it going to be one day or is today going to be day one for you? And if you want to do business with God in your seat, then I give you that opportunity this morning. But maybe I also give the opportunity to stand up and walk out the front and say, you know what, God? From here on in, I'm in. I want to dig the ditches in my life and I don't want to miss out. You know, this morning you woke up and you got ready. You had a million choices before you that you could have done apart from come to church. But I want to tell you the fact that you're sitting here this morning means that you've just met with a divine appointment. Don't walk away from here today the same that you walked in. You don't have to. Nobody wants to be in the same spot in 10 years and nothing's changed. But let us look back on days like today and say, God did something powerful. He threw a match in all the rubbish of my life and burned it up. If that's you today, then I want to give you that opportunity. Just as the music gently plays. Father as we stand here and for those that are doing business with you in their seats I am convinced that not one word needs to be spoken but the fact the fact that we've all decided to walk out the front here says Lord we're ready what we want to do is Lord for you to make us ready Father we long for your presence we are thirsty for more of you. I would pray for every one of us, Father, that today is day one. Today is a day that we all look back and say, you know what? God lit a fire in my heart that no worldly th- person no worldly ideology can put out Father we stand here together we we want to see your kingdom come we yearn for you to visit this whole city The words of Isaiah say, rend the heavens and come on down. And we echo those words this morning, Father, that you would rend the heavens and come on down to Brisbane, that you would rend the heavens, Lord God, and for every person who was lost, that you would open their eyes, Lord God, that they would be found of you, Lord God. But we know that that work starts right here in our own hearts and in our own lives. we pray that dangerous prayer this morning. Empty us. Empty us of all bitterness. Empty us of any unforgiveness. Empty us of any offence. Empty us, Lord God, of our pride. Empty us of worldly ambitions. Empty us, Lord God, for the affections and the desires of this world, Lord God, that we would solely long and hunger and thirst for you. (coughs) Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We are unsatisfied unless all of our satisfa- satisfaction rests in you this morning. Holy Spirit, you must do the work. you with these words you do business with his, with God for as long as you have to but i leave you these words beautiful words from the book of jude now to him who was able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory yes. with great joy yes. to the only god yes. our savior through jesus christ our lord be glory majesty dominion and authority before all time and now and forever Father this is all about you, it's about your glory it's about your kingdom, it's about your praise use each one of us for your glory we pray Dig the ditches in our hearts. Dig the ditches in our lives. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at the Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.